the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. The name Jackie Robinson is synonymous with breaking down barriers, which he did throughout his life. Today's guest, Sharon Robinson, is the daughter of the baseball legend and civil rights icon. Growing up, Sharon experienced some of the most important events in history, including the March on Washington. She's the author of numerous children's books that honor her father's accomplishments and legacy. Sharon is an educational consultant for Major League Baseball and currently serves as vice chairman of the Jackie Robinson Foundation. She is the founder of Breaking Barriers, a baseball-themed program that helps empower students to overcome obstacles in their lives. Welcome, Sharon. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Joan. It sounds like um, change your attitude, change your life. Uh, I love it. <laughs> I think so. It fits right in with, with who I am as well. <laughs> well, that's great, you know, because your life, really, if you think about it, it has been all about change. Your, your father... Yeah broke barriers that changed the lives of so many that followed. And it's been said that his life and legacy will be remembered as one of the most important in American history. So what can you tell us about your father? What was he like? Well, uh, he was a great dad um, on on multiple levels. So uh, with me, I was his only daughter. So we had a a unique relationship and a special one. And uh, he taught me um, many things, but he also told me in in, in every way he could um, that he was you know, my supporter, and he was loved me unconditionally, and we could talk about you know just about anything, even you know really personal stuff. So that was important to me. Uh, and in 1963, which this uh, my new book is is based around the year 1963, you know, it was uh, a turning point for me, both personally and moving into my teenage years, for my family um, as we sort of readjusted and and became involved in the civil rights movement as a family and um, handled, had to handle, you know, personal family struggles. So um, that unconditional love, you know, was really critical to my, uh, my development. So you just mentioned your new book, which is entitled Child of the Dream, a memoir of 1963. And when people think about the dreams that they have in life, they, you know, we, we always expect these obstacles. And, and your father certainly had to overcome so many of them. Did you ever see him defeated or did you ever hear him say, I just can't do this anymore? Not that I can't do it anymore. No, I never heard him say that. What I heard him say is I'm being tested. You know, mm-hmm. when when life was really challenging, and you know, he um, his struggles in baseball were nothing in comparison to you know his struggles with diabetes, for example, or um, you know with his oldest son, um, you know, not not being able to reach him. So uh, there were some personal obstacles that you know could have defeated someone, uh, but who my dad you know just found ways to manage it uh, and continue to um, reach other people. And and so he never, he was never defeated. Well, I think the way that you just described, he reframed it to say, I'm being tested rather than 
I'm defeated or this is something I can't do. Because in your mind, when you view it as a test, it's something that you're able, I think, more readily to overcome than as saying this is something that has defeated me and I'm done. Yeah, well, no, he, he he was not the type to be done. You know, he and, and, and didn't teach us to um, be defeated. You know, we, we taught us to, to fight on, mm-hmm. you know, fight back. Um, stay in the struggle. Um, that was my dad. That was my mom. And that's what we were taught as children. And it helped us in our personal struggles as well as professional professional work. And so it's it's been part of my life values. Sharon, you had access to people and events that most can only dream about. For example, you attended the March on Washington as guests of Martin Luther King Jr. When did you understand the importance of the life you were living. How old were you? You know, as John, it's a, it's a gradual process. Um, I began to understand life differently when I saw the Jackie Robinson story at around eight, age eight or nine, um, and my dad placed himself in that original movie. I knew nothing about his early baseball years and that struggle, and I didn't really understand racism at that point. Um, my father, uh, when he would travel for the for the movement, uh, travel for the NAACP, later traveling for SCLC, Southern uh, Christ, Christian Leadership Council with Dr. King, um, he would come back, and our dining room table was our, you know, was a forum, was a discussion um, that went on. Uh, luckily, my, I was still very young when my dad retired from baseball, so he. Whenever possible, we had dinner together at our home in Stanford, Connecticut, um, and we used that time to formulate who we were as a family and what the family mission would be, and that was all established by my parents and my dad bringing home stories from his travels and helping us understand that we had a role to play in, in the movement and and a family mission that had to be defined, and, and it really charted the way for the rest of my life. You know, we today, my brother and I are on the board of directors of the Jackie Robinson Foundation. Uh, we both have personal work uh, that is mission-driven and where we've helped to uh, change communities, change individuals. And so it, it started when we were kids, um, and it started with the vision that my parents had for us as a family. Sharon, you just mentioned that you were growing up in Connecticut. So being raised in a wealthy Connecticut neighborhood with all that was going on in the world around you, what was that like for you? Did you feel like you fit in? I did as a child, as a young child. Um, I, I loved our, I loved nature. I loved the fact that we had access to nature all around us. I loved the freedom that it gave us to live uh, more in the country. I was very um, much involved with animals. I had a horse, and I worked in a farm nearby, um, you know, as a child. I had a very great best friend who lived down the street. And, you know, I had my not only my parents, but I had my grandmother, and I had um, Willette Bailey, who was like a second mother to me. So um, I didn't, you know, I it wasn't so much about life of privilege. It was a life of freedom. Mm-hmm. And I was able to just get on my horse and go ride throughout the, the neighborhoods, um, and I, or we could go exploring in the woods. We could go swimming in the pond, uh, you know, ice skating. Our parents had to supervise. My dad had to test the ice floor. We could go ice skating, but we then went freely ice skating, um, and and it it just it was amazing. Um, it wasn't until we became te- started to become teenagers or enter our teenage years that that life became more complex because at that point um, in, in our culture, in American culture in, in the North, um, where we didn't have Jim Crow segregation, but we had a different type of segregation. So that childhood play was fine, but as we became teenagers, um, the black and white kids branched off into, in separate, into separate groups. And yet we were still going to school with we were still going to predominantly white schools. So it wasn't until high school that there was a shift, and that was because Stanford was trying to break down school segregation, uh, and they started off with the high schools as I was going into high school, and it started off with busing. So I was literally bused downtown 
to the family black school to help integrate it with my white neighbors um, in Stanford, in northern Stanford. So, What do you think that experience did for you? How did it shape your future? It made me a both um, socially and politically astute. Uh, it made me uh, care for people uh, who from different parts of the world and and uh, wanting to uh, embrace differences as opposed to wanting to keep um, each of these groups separated. Um, so it was it was fundamental to my you know beliefs as an adult. You know, mm-hmm. that that's where we should go and need to go and continue to grow as a nation and as a world. Sharon, tell us about Breaking Barriers. What is the mission? Well, in 1997, um, I joined um, the commissioner's office as an educational consultant and worked with Scholastic and people at Major League Baseball to develop a curriculum that would teach kids that barrier or obstacles were part of life. I wasn't only talking about racial barriers. We were talking about, you know, any kind of barrier that children could identify um, as as their their barrier. And it uh, culminated after the curriculum, and, and I used my dad's story as an example of a barrier a, a barrier breaker, but really encouraging kids to tell their own story. And that was done through a national essay contest. So we're actually in our 24th year, um, and that's, you know, it's been an amazing program um, to merge baseball and values and children and Jackie Robinson and, you know, and then having them and literacy. Um, so after the essay contest, um, we would go out into the community and visit schools to, and congratulate and bring prizes to the winners. But um, sometimes I, you know, some years I was able to bring players into the classroom with me as we expanded more nationally you know that wasn't possible so we started whenever possible bringing kids over to ballparks and letting them meet some of the players so there always was this direct tie into baseball and the grand prize winners are to this day uh, recognized at the uh, World Series and at the All-Star Game during All-Star Week. Um, so it's just been an amazing program where, you know, over millions of kids have have shared with us their story and, and has changed um, their relationship with their teachers, with their parents, with their peers, uh, and with themselves. So, um, you know, a lot of those kids or a number of those kids stay in touch or, or will check in as they um, mature, mature into being adults. And that's always um, an incredible experience to hear back from some of those kids. I heard from one uh, last night uh, sent me a text to tell me she's graduating a year early and she wants to apply to Yale. And she knew that I (laughs) once taught at Yale and so she was, and that that was her dream school when I met her when she was in uh, eighth grade. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of fun to hear from her and be able to support this decision to apply to Yale and so, you know, it's it's been incredible work, and it fits in with the work I did as a nurse midwife because a, a lot of my work there as a midwife was um, with teenage girls and who were now pregnant, and I needed, I wanted to help them with this transition into motherhood but also encourage them to continue to develop themselves, stay in school, you know, be prepared so that they could really support this child and continue to grow grow as individuals. The book is Child of the Dream, a memoir of 1963. If you'd like more information about Sharon and her work, you can visit Sharon Robinson, Inc. That's I-N-K, SharonRobinsonInc.com. Sharon, in our final moments, if you could sum it up or even bullet point it, what are some of the values that were demonstrated by your father that you think can help people break down barriers and overcome challenges? Well, I have to start with uh, with courage, uh, integrity. You know, many lessons um, my father taught me about integrity, including the 1960 presidential campaign where we had a discussion about why he was not supporting John F. Kennedy and he was supporting Nixon over Kennedy. Mm-hmm. You know, that was my mm-hmm. lesson on, on commitment and, and integrity. Um, he had made a promise and he was seeing it through. 
So um, based on his own research, uh, also, um, you know, it all builds towards being excellent, you know, so um, being persistent and, and determined and um, have, you know, kind of setting goals through uh, your determination. Um, all of those are important, have been important to my, were important to my dad and are, are important to children today and certainly were important in my life. Sharon, thank you so much for spending time with us. Your father has been quoted as saying, a life is not important except in the impact it has on others. And that is such an important lesson for all of us to learn. So thank you for being here and for sharing your father's legacy and a bit about your life with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. If you're a person living with any discomfort, have trouble sleeping, or the many other issues that come with getting older, I have great news for you. You have a chance to do something for yourself and at the same time help a U.S. veteran. My name is Janice Coviello. For years, I've been living with knee pain and discomfort every time I did something active, even walking. But after eight knee surgeries, countless bottles of Advil, and hyaluronic acid injections, I was desperate for relief. My doctor's told me a knee replacement was my only option. To avoid another surgery, I found another solution, a transdermal gel known for reducing joint pain, faster recovery from injuries, enhancing strength, and promoting natural tissue repair. I started using the gel with amazing results. For the first time in 17 years, I could run without Advil. In addition, I sleep better and have so much more energy. But just don't take my word for it. Go to Forever young.org to learn how the purchase of this product can benefit you and also help a U.S. veteran. That's the number four, everyoung.org. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Allison Carmen, a business consultant, life coach, and author of The Gift of Maybe, offering hope and possibility in uncertain times. Allison's podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, provides simple tools to reduce daily stress and worry. She's here today to discuss The Gift of Maybe. Welcome, Allison. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Joan. So, Allison, many of us have goals and dreams, things that we want to achieve, but we worry that these things might never happen, especially when we don't see any signs of forward movement. I know in my life, it's really easy to want to give up and allow our ambitions to create pain or to create dissatisfaction in our life. So why do you think this happens? How can we have goals, but at the same time, not worry so much about the future? Joan, that's a great question. I think a lot of us have a fear of uncertainty. Either we're afraid that we'll lose the things that we have in our lives, the things that we cherish, 
or we fear we can't have the life that we want. We can't achieve the goals that we want. We can't have the relationships that we want. We worry that things are not going to work out. And what we do in order to manage this is that we think we know how things will happen. We write stories about what needs to happen for us to be okay. And then when things don't work out, we feel like things are never going to change or they're not going to get better. Or when something bad happens, we're not going to recover from that either. So we're always kind of playing this game where we're worried about life. We're worried about the future. And so if we have a goal or we have a story about what we believe needs to happen for us to be okay, if it doesn't happen, we're going to live in so much pain. And what this also does, it steals our hope. Because if you think about it, if you're so afraid that life's not going to work out, it's hard to live with that hope and that openness and that possibility that you can have the things that you want. And this great philosopher Krishnamurti said, you know the reason why I'm happy? I'm happy because I don't mind what happens. And if you think about it, if we didn't mind what happened, of course we'd be happy because we'd live every day in the moment and we'd be open and we'd be expansive and we'd believe that life would take us where it needed to go. But we have mortgages and we have jobs and we have children. So we mine things. So the key is how can we mine less? Because the more we could let go of our fear of the unknown, the more expansive we could be, the more we could live in possibility and we could release that pain. And I know most people listening know that feeling when they're able to let go. It's this feeling of great relief. And I think if we could just remember this, we could remember that the unknown is really our best friend. Because if you want your life to change, it has to happen in the unknown. If you want to achieve your goal, if you want a new relationship, if you want anything in your life to be different, the unknown is where it's going to happen. And so what I like to do is I found, because I was addicted to certainty, because if I didn't know what was going to happen, I projected things were going to be bad or weren't going to work out. So what I've done in my life is I've embraced this idea of maybe. And what maybe is, it's this open space that reminds me all the time, you're not doomed, you're not stuck, life always changes. And there are these mantras that I do, maybe everything is okay, maybe things will get better, maybe there's something left for me in this moment to experience. And it's just this one little word, but it reminds you again and again and again that everything still might be okay, even though you feel scared and even though you don't know what's going to happen next. Life always moves forward, and we will move forward with life. So there's this idea that, that this opening and this, this idea of maybe, that maybe we are okay. And if we could just remember that uncertainty is our best friend and maybe everything's okay, and life will keep changing, we will find the hope and resilience to always find our way. Is there an exercise or, or something else that you do that you can share with us that can help us to mind less and to let go and release that fear so we can stay hopeful? Yes, and, and I'd like to go back to this idea of maybe, because it sounds so simple, right? It's just one little word, but we need something to help us let go. Sometimes we're, we're all so afraid of things changing, of things ending, but there's always this next breath. What happens when we're afraid of the unknown, we forget that there's going to be another opportunity in our next breath to have a different experience. And so what I like to do is I first like to ask myself, what's my biggest fear? Am I afraid that I'm not going to get this client? Um, or are you afraid that you're not going to get a job or afraid that you'll never fall in love again? Whatever your greatest fear is, write it down. And then ask yourself, am I absolutely certain that this is going to happen? And the funny thing is, we're so afraid of uncertainty. This is one time it works to our advantage because you say to yourself, am I certain this fear is going to happen? And most of the time, we're not certain what's going to happen next. So then we could take a deep breath and say, wait a second, I'm not certain that I'm not going to get that job or I'm never going to find a job or things aren't going to change. So what else is there? And then we start to incorporate the maybe. And first, there are very broad maybe statements. Maybe everything's okay. Maybe things will get better. And then one of the most powerful ones is maybe there's something left for me to experience in this moment. We forget that. Sometimes we get so consumed with our pain and our suffering, we forget that in that moment, there's usually something else to experience. It could be a hug, it could be the sun, or it could be a new opportunity. But when we're so busy that telling the story that things are bad or we're suffering, we can't even see that extra space in the moment that's giving us something that's so beautiful. So what maybe does, it also reminds us that in the moment, there's something else. And then over time, you know, you just find these, these mantras, these maybe statements that just help you. Like for me, when I'm feeling stressed or I'm feeling worried and I forget about the possibilities in life, 
I'll often hear myself say, maybe everything is okay. Maybe this moment is giving me something I can't see. And I take that breath and my mind calms down. And usually I do see something that's so beautiful in the moment. And it does calm me down. It does give me peace and also gives me hope because I know I'm not doomed. And life will change, and I promise you, you will change with it. We just need to keep an open mind, and maybe it's just another tool that we can use to always stay expansive and always stay open and to make sure that we're ready always to live our best life. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Allison and her work, or if you'd like to listen to her podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, you can visit her website, alisoncarmen.com. And as always, to hear more from Allison, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Allison. We'll be right back. The trick is to enjoy life. Don't wish away your days waiting for better ones ahead. I recently stumbled upon this quote by Marjorie Pay Hinckley. Marjorie's words got me to thinking about my life and how I've rushed most of it away, not being fully present or savoring the joy of any moment. Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Don't wish away your days waiting for better ones. When I was a teenager, I couldn't wait to grow up so I could drink or go to college or even get married. When my children were infants and toddlers, I muddled through most days in anticipation of the evening when they would go to sleep and I thought about when they would be older and more self-sufficient. When I was the caregiver for my parents, I struggled through those years frazzled and exhausted. When I held job positions that were unfulfilling, I wished for the day that I would find employment that made me happy. Looking back, I can't recall one period in my life in which I wasn't looking ahead to something different or better. The sad thing is that it took tremendous loss to wake me up. The loss of my marriage, the deaths of my parents and siblings, my children growing up and moving on with their lives. Now, I strive to live in the present moment. All those quotes about leaving the past behind and not worrying about the future are so true. When you live in the past or try to anticipate the future, you miss the here and now. So what can you do? When you're dealing with a challenge, look for the positive and learn from the experience. If you're caring for a sick loved one, treasure every minute because I promise you one day you would give anything to nurse that person again. If your children are driving you crazy, remember that sooner than you'll like, they will be moving out and starting their own lives. All the seemingly insignificant moments, both good and bad, are as Paul Anka said, the times of your life. Enjoy them all. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. Whether you currently own a home and want to do renovations for yourself and your family to enjoy, or you want to increase the value of your home to prepare for sale, it's always beneficial to check whether or not the improvement you're going to make will increase the resale value of your home. Hi, my name is Danielle Grosso from My Team GC Properties, New Jersey, here to share with you the top renovations for the greatest return on investment. Some improvements solely benefit the current homeowners and the buyer will not necessarily pay more for it. As a rule of thumb, a kitchen upgrade or bathroom remodel will typically always have value. To your home. However, if you're strictly looking to make improvements for the resale value of your home, here's the top four renovations that bring the highest ROI according to bank rate. One, garage door replacement. This tops the list when it comes to getting cash back on your investment when you decide to sell. Two, manufactured stone veneer. Replacing siding with stone veneer on part of your home, such as the entryway, is a huge curb appeal upgrade. Three, minor kitchen remodel. Creating a modern looking and functional kitchen absolutely adds value to your home. And four, deck addition. If you're lucky enough, to own a house with a big yard, having a wooden deck can become an extra enhancement and you'll get to enjoy the outdoors around your home. If you're questioning whether or not you should make a certain improvement, you can always ask a local realtor and they'll be happy to give their opinion on the value of your home prior versus after the renovations and they should be able to provide you with a list of vendors that can help. And if you have any further questions about real estate, whether that be buying, selling, or investing, please visit our website gcpropertiesnj.com and click the contact button. I'd love to connect. want to help someone who could use a hand christmas can be the most wonderful time of the year but it can also be the saddest and the loneliest while many people experience the joy of the season blessed with abundance 
others struggle to put food on the table. Wouldn't it be wonderful to share your blessings with those less fortunate, to let them know that they're loved and not forgotten? Through Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's third annual Feed a Family initiative, you can provide a nourishing, festive holiday meal to those in need. Working with local charities, we'll be distributing boxed, pre-cooked dinners. Each meal comes complete with meat, vegetables, salad, sides, and dessert. It's easy to help out. Simply visit cyacyl.com slash holiday meal to learn more or to place your order. That's cyacyl.com slash holiday meal. Hannah complained of a headache. It was a rhabdomyosarcoma. The tumor was very aggressive. And it very quickly became clear that St. Jude was the ultimate place to be. St. Jude is an asset to the world. I think it's the kind of place that could teach the world a couple of lessons about how to treat people. If those lessons could be learned, this world could be a better place. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. With the majority of human interaction happening online, our ability to read human emotion and nonverbal cues, and our capacity to control our own emotions has weakened considerably. Today's guest, Robert Green, teaches how we can recognize unconscious behavior in both ourselves and others so that we can avoid the mistakes often made out of emotion. Robert is an internationally recognized expert on power strategies. He is a New York Times bestselling author of The 48 Laws of Power. His new book is The Laws of Human Nature. Welcome, Robert. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Joan. My pleasure. So, Robert, let's start off by talking about human nature. Why do you believe people behave the way that they do? Well, a lot of human behavior, as you mentioned in your introduction, I maintain is unconscious. And people in neuroscience have pretty much demonstrated this, that 95% of the things you do during the day are autopilot, they're automatic. And so a lot of what I'm trying to write about is that you're not aware of the degree to which you're, you're not conscious of what's really motivating your behavior. You're not really aware of why you're excited by this particular book or this particular idea or why you buy this product or why you like this person and don't like that other person. You have certain superficial explanations that you tell yourself. You know, you, you kind of reach for easy answers that kind of satisfy your ego. But in truth, you're a stranger to yourself. You don't really know what is motivating your behavior. And if you sat back and thought about it deeply and you thought about why did I get excited by this? Why did I buy that product? Why am I thinking this? You'd you'd understand that maybe it's not as simple as you imagine. So I'm trying to show that wired into our system as human beings are forces that we're not aware of that we can't really control that are wired into our brain based on how we evolved over hundreds of thousands of years ago. And these forces that cause us to act in ways that we're not conscious of, I call human nature. And I have 18 sort of facets of this human nature that I describe in the book. Many of them can lead to destructive behavior patterns that are very apparent to us in the news and in our own lives. By being aware of them, you can begin to control them and turn them into something productive. Robert, would you share a few of those laws with us? Certainly. One of the laws is the law of narcissism. What's really much a part of human nature is to always accuse other people of things um, that we share ourselves. So it's always other people are narcissistic, other people are aggressive, other people are envious, never ourselves. We're exempt from that. Every, we always think of ourselves as angelic figures. And I'm trying to make the point that we all share these qualities. It's illogical to think that the brain that was formed, it's pretty much the same in every one of us. Somehow, some of us are completely excluded from these facets of human nature. And one of them is self-absorption, is our narcissism. All of us are narcissists. So let's take the guilt out of it. Let's stop pointing fingers. We are all very much self-absorbed. That has to do with our childhood and how we're raised and the need to have a self that we love. So in moments where we're feeling pain or alienated, we can retreat inward and sort of find a self that we can kind of validate ourselves inwardly without depending on other people. And you'll notice as you go through life, you'll see signs of the self-absorption. When you're in a conversation with people, you're not really paying attention to them. You're not really thinking of what's going on in their mind or what their experience is. 
you you constantly have this loop in your brain of my own problems. You know, what am I going to do tomorrow? You know, you know, does this person like me, etc. You're not really paying deep attention because you're absorbed in your own interests, your own ideas, your own fantasies. And I want you to turn that around. I want you to take that love that is basically turned inward towards yourself, turn it outward. And instead of being so obsessed and fascinated by your own ideas and impulses, become fascinated by other people. They're like characters in a movie. They have experiences and they come from backgrounds that are completely different from your own. And they're endlessly fascinating. And by turning that, that light from inward to outward, you develop empathy. So now you find other people and their ideas and their problems actually more interesting than your own. And I'm not doing this just so we can all love each other because certainly there are people out there that are very toxic. It's just going to also help you understand people on a deeper level so you can make better decisions in life so that you can even understand the toxic people and where they come from. And in understanding them, you cannot get so emotional and defend yourself in a better way. So that's, that's one example. Do you want me to give you more? Uh, yeah, if you would share another one, that would be great. Well, one of the chapters in there is about um, your attitude towards life, that when you look at the world around you, you're not seeing things as they are. You're not really looking at the, uh, some realities, quote unquote. You're basically looking at the world through a particular lens of your own subjectivity, your own attitude. So you could have a negative kind of closed attitude and everything you see kind of reminds you of dark things and makes you fearful and upset and frightened. And the same person could be seeing the same things as you are, but they have a different attitude. They're more open. They're less afraid. They're more excited about life. And they see the same thing and they see it completely differently. And we all have this experience. So uh, a common example is uh, you meet somebody for the first time and they have a kind of defensive, paranoid edge that you kind of smell off of them. And it makes, we, we humans pay a lot of attention to nonverbal communication. You feel their defensiveness and it makes you defensive in return. So their attitude kind of infects you and causes you to respond in a similar way. And the, we find the opposite. If someone is kind of open and cheerful and smiling, it brings out that part of our nature. So your attitude changes what you get in life. It changes what happens to you. It changes how people respond to you. And they've done amazing studies. It's called, in, in, in education, it's called the Pygmalion effect. That when a teacher, for instance, enters a classroom and feels, without saying a word, that her students are actually quite smart and are going to get, become very successful, it has a very pronounced positive impact on the students. So your attitude is communicated to people in a nonverbal, unconscious way. And you can control this. You're not a slave to it. You're not a victim to it. A lot of your attitude is formed, perhaps in some degrees, genetically, and it's hard to control. But a lot of it was formed in your early childhood. And through awareness and by understanding the problems that you're creating, the self fulfilling dynamics you're creating, you can begin to alter that. Robert, you just mentioned nonverbal cues and being able to, you know, really get a meaning of, of what someone is trying to convey through their nonverbal communication. And with yeah. so much of our communication taking place digitally via emails, social media, text yeah. messaging, how has that impacted the way that we relate to each other? Well, it's very much impacted us because um, we are social animals to the core. It's the source of our power, because physically we're actually quite weak creatures. We don't have the speed or the power of a leopard or even a chimpanzee. Our strength came through our social, our ability to work with other people to cooperate on a high level. And so we're animals that were built for high level socialization. And I maintain that when we cut that off, when we spend so much of our time digitally, not paying attention to nonverbal cues, not interacting with people, not using those social muscles that are so important to our character, to who we are, it creates all kinds of pain and loneliness. We're literally cutting ourselves off from our own nature. And I think what we're seeing in our country in particular, with skyrocketing rates of suicide, with drug use, it's becoming like a, a, a veritable crisis and epidemic, that people are in pain. They're lonely. They're cut off. They don't have a sense of community. They don't have a sense of belonging. They go to work and they don't feel, they feel like they're connected to it in any deep level. And this is a tremendous, tremendous problem. 
And so it, like, if you want to learn to play the piano, you have to practice it every day. Every day, your finger's on the keyboard. The same thing with any other kind of skill. Well, being a social person is also a skill. It depends on the degrees of interactions, the quality of your interactions, whether every day you're conversing with people and you're paying attention to them. Slowly by doing this, you develop the skill and you see incredible transformation in your life. People, you'll understand people on a higher level. You'll have more ability to influence them. You'll have a better ability to see what motivates their behavior and not get entangled and all the emotional dramas. But you have, to be some, you have to be aware of how the digital aspect is eroding that skill because the time that you spend, let's say you're with your husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend in a restaurant, and instead of looking them in the eye and talking to them and trying to figure out what, what they're like, you're sitting there looking at your phone, looking something up, and then you kind of look up for an instant and share some link with them and then go back into your phone. You're losing that skill day by day by day by day till a point is reached where you're no longer that social animal and it causes tremendous problems. The book is The Laws of Human Nature by Robert Greene. Robert, thank you so much for joining us. As you said, it's a skill to being a social person and I want to thank you so much for sharing some of your wisdom with us to help us develop this skill. Oh, my pleasure. Well, thank you for having me. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you ever feel like there is no support and you are doing things all on your own? With hypnosis, you can bring in the feeling of being supported. Hi, I'm Mary Beth Battaglia, and I am a certified clinical hypnosis practitioner. Many times, people feel disconnected and the weight of the world upon them. It's not a very comfortable place to live in. Through the mind and visualization, we can create support within us and all around us. Take a moment to take a nice deep breath in and slowly let it out. And imagine yourself in a forest sitting against a tall, strong tree. Allow yourself to feel the tree having your back. Feel the love from the tree. Feel the support and draw from its strength to help you feel good within and supported. Allow yourself to really embrace it and see yourself moving forward in your life with the support with the strength from the tree and just see yourself feeling complete and happy. I am Mary Beth Battaglia and you can find out more about hypnosis at MetroHypnosisCenter.com. When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often that's what we want. And so we're maybe a little defensive, but is that right? Or do we want a result? The result being we'd like to get along. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching. And they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense, then that connects to our ego. But ego's not really going to get you that far. If you want a result, then you're going to want to work with humility and truth. So if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say, I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting. But let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying you this and you that because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different. There isn't a right or wrong. There's just different experiences going on here. So we just need to talk it through and land somewhere that feels really good for both of us. So you want to do a lot of that non-heated conversation so that you can both feel good, but nobody is charging at another person. It's not being heard and right. It's just working toward the positive result. Lindsay Levinson, qualityforlifecoaching.com. Look me up. I'd love to talk to you, help you in any way I might be able to. Do you want to help someone who could use a hand? Christmas can be the most wonderful time of the year, but it can also be the saddest and the loneliest. While many people experience the joy of the season blessed with abundance, others struggle to put food on the table. Wouldn't it be wonderful to share your blessings with those less fortunate, to let them know that they're loved and not forgotten? Through Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's third annual Feed a Family initiative, you can provide a nourishing, festive holiday meal to those in need. Working with local charities, we'll be distributing boxes pre 
pre-cooked dinners. Each meal comes complete with meat, vegetables, salad, sides, and dessert. It's easy to help out. Simply visit cyacyl.com slash holiday meal to learn more or to place your order. That's cyacyl.com slash holiday meal. the upcoming health insurance open enrollment period is Ed Gaelic, a life and health insurance broker and founder and managing member of PSI Consultants located in Glen Rock, New Jersey. Welcome, Ed. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Joan. Happy to be with you today. So, Ed, every year around this time, we hear about open enrollment. Can you give us a brief overview of what this means? Sure. In 2010, President Obama signed the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, or PPACA, or also known as ACA, into law. If that doesn't sound familiar to you, it may be because of over the years, the ACA has become more commonly known as Obamacare. So that's how I will refer to the ACA moving forward. One of Obamacare's provisions was including an annual open enrollment period. For individuals and families without company-sponsored health coverage, this is the most common time to obtain health insurance since there are no restrictions on who may enroll, what plan designs to select, or which carrier to choose. This is your opportunity to research options for the coverage that best fits your needs and or budget for the upcoming year. The 2020 open enrollment begins on November 1st, 2019 and ends on December 15th, 2019. This time frame has been extended in previous years, but the extension is not guaranteed. Plans sold during open enrollment will start on January 1st, 2020. So if this is the time for open enrollment, how does someone obtain a policy? Coverage may be purchased through a marketplace, also known as on exchange, or directly from a carrier, also known as off exchange or direct pay. Insurance brokers can help you with both options. It is important to note that subsidies for qualified persons are only available on exchange. If you're not eligible for a subsidy, you will most likely have a wider array of options off exchange. What happens if you miss the open enrollment period? If you do not enroll in a plan during this time, you will need to wait until the following year's open enrollment period unless you have a triggering event which would qualify you for a special enrollment period. Some popular triggering events include life status changes such as an involuntary loss of minimum essential coverage, moving to a new service area, getting married, as well as having or adopting a child. Your special enrollment period lasts for 60 days. If you will be going from the individual market to a group health plan, that window decreases to just 30 days. In either case, you should take action right away so you don't miss your opportunity. Does open enrollment apply only to individuals, or do employers need to know about it as well? While it is not required for employers with less than 50 full-time equivalent employees to offer a company-sponsored health plan, many recognize that by doing so, they can attract and retain good employees. Obamacare created an open enrollment period for these small groups as well, which has similar but slightly different rules than the individual market. Bottom line is a company that meets the definition of a small company under Obamacare rules can set up a plan regardless of participation and contribution requirements for January 1st. It's tricky and other rules still apply. And deadlines to enroll are unforgiving. Miss the deadline, you will not get an exception. Open enrollment does not apply to companies with 50 or more full-time equivalent employees. Rules for these applicable large employers would require another lengthy interview. Is there any other time when someone can get health insurance? That's a really good question. The goal of Obamacare was for everyone, regardless of their health status, to have insurance for any health issue. One way to accomplish this was by eliminating pre-existing exclusions. This was a noble idea, but there were unintended consequences. Pre-existing exclusions was a major concern for many people, so eliminating them sounds great. Can you explain what you mean by unintended consequences? On the surface, it does sound great, but let's look deeper. For example, prior to Obamacare, New Jersey offered guaranteed issue policies and a rolling open enrollment. Let's break that down. A guaranteed issue policy is just as it sounds. If you lived in New Jersey and paid the required premium, you were guaranteed enrollment in your chosen plan. A rolling open enrollment means that anyone can enroll at any time for any reason. So how could insurance companies protect themselves from someone purchasing a policy on the first of the month, having surgery on the second, and then canceling the policy on the third by including a pre-existing condition exclusion? This was the only way they could protect themselves from people coming into the system only when they needed care, then getting out after they received treatment. 
And what would happen if people did this repeatedly? I'll tell you what, premiums would skyrocket at best. Carriers wouldn't offer health insurance at the worst. Again, using New Jersey as an example, carriers temporarily excluded coverage of pre-existing conditions for six months under group-sponsored plans and 12 months for those entering the individual market. But if you got the flu or broke your leg, you'd be covered on day one. If you never had a break in coverage, typically more than 90 days, you would never have to worry about pre-existing exclusion clauses. You'd have continuity. Go beyond 90 days with no coverage and exclusions would have applied. Now let's compare the old way to the new rules of Obamacare. As I explained, people can only enroll in a health plan during certain periods of time, like the annual open enrollment, special open enrollment, or an employee's initial eligibility at work. Miss those opportunities, and you must wait. So under Obamacare rules, if you miss the deadlines, you will have absolutely no coverage until the next open enrollment or triggering event. Get the flu or break your leg, and the cost of treatment is completely on you. Ed, where can our listeners go to get more information? They can visit our website at psi-consultants.com. Is there anything else you would like to add? Yes. On December 22, 2017, President Trump signed into law the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Although the majority of the tax provisions included in Obamacare were not impacted by this legislation, the federal individual mandate penalty was eliminated effective January 1, 2019. That being said, several states have implemented their own requirements. For example, where we live in New Jersey, the state has adopted a new law to continue the mandate and its associated penalties. The District of Columbia and Massachusetts have their own fines. Vermont's individual mandate will go into effect beginning 2020. People should check with their own state's insurance department for any regulation updates. Navigating all the various insurance rules and regulations by yourself can be overwhelming. There are state and federal guidelines to consider, as well as how the health insurers are interpreting and implementing these guidelines. It is important to work with a seasoned professional you trust who will present all your options and recommend the best alternatives for your specific situation. And thank you so much for joining us. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.